Today, I'm excited to bring you this third in this series on the Traveler's Gift. Are you enjoying reading this book? It's great. I think it's a great book. I read it a couple years ago, and I made the decision then that we were going to use this in our um, life group series in the fall. I kicked it off a couple weeks back with David Ponder, just a fictitious character. Uh, who Andy Andrews writes about, who visits all of these key people in history. He, he learns some lessons because he's just in a really bad place in his life. He's lost his job. Actually, he's lost his real job, and now he's lost his job at the hardware store, and he crashes his car, and his daughter's sick, and, and you know the, the credit cards are maxed out. There's no 401k left. And if you've been reading the story, you know what's happening in the book And he meets Harry Truman in chapter 3. It's the very first decision that he makes. And and the president at the time is sitting in Potsdam, Germany, about to meet with world leaders and making the decision to drop the atom bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki to end World War II. And the lesson was the buck stops here. Last week, Pastor Alex did a phenomenal job bringing us I Will Seek Wisdom, where David Ponder finds himself in the court of probably one of the greatest kings in history, and that's King Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. And so today, I'm excited to share with you how we leave the court of Solomon and all the regality and the... We end up on a battlefield, and we get introduced to a a young teacher by the name of Joshua Chamberlain who's not been trained in military skills. He knows very little about it, but it's a hinge point in history in what changed the nation, the Civil War in America. And it's just prior to the Battle of Gettysburg, which we know historically turned the whole Civil War. If, if the Union soldiers, and let me just say this, being from Arkansas, you know, there's probably a little bit of that rebel that's still in all of us in terms of the South will rise again. But I just want to say that I'm, I'm thankful that in the providential hand of God, that it didn't turn out the way we regionally would probably have liked for it to turn out because we would be in two separate nations today. We would be sitting in the Confederate States of America would be the CSA and not the USA. Um, A president made some critical decisions. Some men gave their lives on both sides. It is a period in history that um, we have to come to grips with a black spot, a dark spot on our nation, and that's just the whole issue of slavery. And, of course, I'll just tell you this right now. As a, histor- as a person who is a lover of history and been trained in it significantly, the Civil War really wasn't about slavery. It was about states' rights. And at the same time, were we going to have, were we really going to live up to what we said when we first made our declaration from England that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that we've been endowed by our Creator? These truths are self-evident. They don't even have to be explained. We understand this. There's something down on the side of all of us. When Jefferson penned those truths that all men are created equal. And then to fight a war to win that kind of independence and then to hold back a whole race of people because of the color of their skin. And not just race, but gender. Women had no rights in that period of history. And so Joshua Chamberlain 
is a young teacher who's been called on the spot to stand and deliver for a whole group of men who are following his leadership into battle. And if you've read the story, uh, actually the father-son team, Michael and Jeff Shera, do a phenomenal job telling. This is not fictitious. This is a true historical account of what took place in that battle when Joshua Chamberlain led the 11th Maine, talking about the state, into that battle and charged and took that hill again and then the rebels retreated. And so David Ponder finds himself in the middle of a battle and the, the bullets are whirring by and I think he describes it like bees all around him. Cannon fire is being heard all over the place. And the book opens with this quote by Joshua Chamberlain. And it says... In great deed, something abides. On great fields, something stays. Forms change and pass. Bodies disappear, but spirits linger to consecrate ground for the vision place of the soul. And reverent men and women from afar and generations that know us not and that we know not of shall come here to ponder and to dream and the power of vision shall pass into their souls. Andy Andrews, if you don't know his story, was just born into poverty and horrible circumstances surrounding his life in terms of family upbringing. And he became a lover of biographies. And it was because of this story and this quote by jo Joshua Chamberlain that he named the main character in this book, David Ponder. He's a fictional character. And it's from this, this line right here, that generations that know us not and that we know not of shall come here to ponder and to dream and the power of vision shall pass into our souls. And so this morning as we set this message up from the Word of God, and we're studying a little book that is, to some degree, you might call historical fiction. The way something might have happened if we were to have the opportunity to sit down for a few moments visit in the presence of people who have lived through some great circumstance and taken personal responsibility the way Harry Truman did and sought wisdom from God above the way King Solomon did and became a person of action, which is the theme today. Say that with me. I am a person of action. Say it again. I am a person of action. So with that, I want you to go with me to Judges chapter 6. This is one of my favorite Old Testament Bible stories. The book of Judges is a significant stop in redemptive history because the children of Israel have been delivered from the power of Pharaoh and they've been set free from slavery. God raised up a deliverer by the name of Moses. He was the federal head of the old covenant and God charged him to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt through the wilderness and into the land and they were delivered by the blood and the water and the spirit and they came through 38 years of testing and trying and set two years in front of the Jordan River and in those two years God spoke through Moses the book of Deuteronomy the second giving of the law to prepare a generation that had not been trained in the law of God, but he was getting them ready to go in and to possess the land. And then Joshua's raised up. A shepherd dies and a soldier comes forth. Generations change. Leadership is different. What God does in the next generation 
is not identical to what he did in the previous one. Look at your neighbor and say, God's doing a new thing. God appeared to Joshua and he said, Moses, my servant is dead. So he raises up a soldier. The, the administration, the leadership of a shepherd gave way to the charge and the commanding of a soldier. And God used Joshua for a generation. And then Joshua died. And then we enter this period of the judges where the children of Israel, almost like a roller coaster, there's, there are seasons of high where they're seeking after the face of God and they're walking in provision and they're walking in liberty and deliverance and the, the good things of God, but then something happens and they are lured into the path of the worship and the servitude of false gods. They begin to worship the gods of the pagans, the Canaanites of the land in which they are moving in to possess and to drive out. The commandment of the Lord has been given. Drive all of these out of the land and do not worship their gods. Judges is an interesting place in scripture because it tells us there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That repeats in the book of Judges. It says it several times. There was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This morning, as we look to this passage of scripture, I want to remind you how God in seasons would raise up judges who would bring the commandment of the Lord back to bear into the lives of the people of Israel. And he would remind, he or she, there were even women. Deborah was a great judge in the book of Judges. So God not, didn't just use the women, but I mean, didn't just use the men, but he used the women also. He raised up a mother in Israel. She was a significant leader for her generation. And there were stories of generations by Men by the name of Othniel and, and Samson. We all know the story of the guy with the, the long hair who couldn't keep his eye off the, the sisters over there in the foreign land. Delilah. You remember those stories. Gideon is my favorite one because it, it tells us, uh, it's, it's found in three chapters. Judges chapter 6, 7, and 8. And it talks about the situation is bad because Midian is coming against Israel. Israel has not been worshiping God. It's been seeking after false gods. And God raises up a bunch of foreigners literally to dominate the people of God, to oppress them, to get their attention, to bring them back to a place where they would cry out to God and get their hearts right with the Lord and seek the presence in the face of God. And God would do that and revival would come and they would tear down the altars of the enemy gods. And then they would get in a place of complacency and like the roller coaster, they would go back down into the valley of idolatry again. And they would erect the altars to Ashtoreth and to Baal, all sex gods, crazy perverse actions, defiling the land with all kinds of things that are indescribable. Instead of worshiping the one true God, Yahweh, who'd revealed himself to them as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses, the God who had delivered them from Egypt, they would enter a period of forgetfulness, and God would have to raise up a judge. And the Bible tells us in Judges chapter 6, verses 7 through 10, my first point is this, in every generation, God has a representative voice. In every generation, God is never without someone who will be a messenger with his message. 
Someone who will speak the word of the Lord to the current circumstances in which the people live and the things that they're facing and the temptations to which they are succumbing to. God raised up a prophet and it tells us in the word of the Lord one time when the people of Israel had cried out to God because of Midian, God sent them a prophet with this message. God, the God of Israel says, I delivered you from Egypt. I freed you from a life of slavery. I rescued from Egypt's brutality and then from every oppressor. I pushed them out of your way and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am God, your God. Don't for a minute be afraid of the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But you didn't listen to me. I'll be honest with you, in some ways, America is very much like Israel in the time of Gideon. Circumstances that we're facing today, drawing after the other gods besides seeing God alone as our provider, besides seeing God alone. And I'm not talking about anybody in any party, anybody in any office, anywhere, in Congress, in the White House, in, in, the, in the Senate, in, in the Supreme Court, any of that kind of stuff. I'm talking about the state of the hearts of the people of this nation. You can say amen. Whether you say amen or not, I know that I'm telling the truth this morning. God is never without a representative voice in every generation. And you know what? Gideon is just out here doing his thing. One day, Gideon meets Jesus, point number two. What do you mean Gideon meets Jesus? Well, I just want you to see this in verse 11 in Judges 6. The scripture says, one day the angel of God came. Anytime you see the phrase in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord, capital L, it literally is speaking of God's specific messenger of the covenant, which he's referred to, the angel of the Lord, the messenger of the covenant in Malachi. The angel of the Lord is not just any one of the angels at the side of the throne of God and he taps them on the shoulder and he says, do my bidding. But the angel of the Lord is the very specific messenger of the covenant and most theologians believe that this is a Christophany. This is a, an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. Jesus himself goes down and comes down and makes an Old Testament appearance and he sits down under the tree in Ophrah. And here, here's Gideon He's over here in the wine press, and instead of being out there in the open where everybody threshes wheat, you throw it up in the air, and you let the, the wind come along and take the chaff. Gideon is down in the wine press, and he's threshing wheat. Everybody say, Gideon is a coward. Midian would move in and would take over the space they would move in and set up their tents, and the scripture literally describes it as like an army of locusts. They would devour the crops of the Israelites at the time of the harvest, and God brought them to a place of abject poverty through Midian because God was trying to get their attention. And because God is never without a representative voice in every generation, the angel of the Lord, Jesus himself, comes down and sits down under the oak in Ophrah out of the sight of the Midianites, and he looks at Gideon. Gideon is over there, and the Bible says in, in Judges chapter 6, verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, God is with you, O mighty warrior. And Gideon goes, who, me? 
He's down in the wine press threshing wheat, which is something you're supposed to do out in the open. But he's hiding because he doesn't want to see the enemy Midianite army seeing him threshing wheat so he can get some grain together to make some bread so his family can have something to eat. He's doing it over there in hiding. But yet the angel of the Lord comes and doesn't look at the way he's acting. The angel of God looks into him, into the potential that he himself doesn't even know he has. Gideon, oh, mighty man of valor, oh, great warrior. Oh, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I don't think you're talking to me. Are you talking to me? <laughs> the angel of the Lord calls him out. Number four, as long as I, everybody say I, I. as long as I am the focus, excuses abound. Yeah. Listen to what Gideon says. Judges 6, 13 through 15. I'm reading from the message today too, by the way. Gideon replied, with me, my master? If God is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the miracle wonders our parents and grandparents told us about? Telling us, didn't God deliver us from Egypt? The fact is God has nothing to do with us. He has turned us over to Midian. Sounds like some of the folks who are describing America today. The greatness of our past is just that. It's the greatness of our past, they say. God moved. He shook the nation. He established in the planting generation and the founding generation, the first great awakening, the second great awakening, the Pentecostal outpouring in the, in the beginning of the 20th century and the charismatic movement and crusades of Dr. Billy Graham and, and thousands upon thousands upon thousands have come to God and we would see revivals and it would be like almost God would raise up a judge in our generation and America would turn back to God and then we'd plummet back again. And then God would raise up a judge and we'd cry out to the Lord and deliverance would come. And then we'd get in a place of complacency and then we would ride the roller coaster back into the valley of idolatry again. We have no right whatsoever to look back to our old covenant brothers and sisters in Christ with a critical eye because we have done the same thing. But God faced him directly. Go in his strength, and that is yours. Save Israel from Midian. Haven't I just sent you? This was the call of Gideon by the angel of the Lord. Jesus himself speaks to Gideon. He says, get up out of this commiserating that you're doing. I am sending you. Haven't I just called you? Gideon said to him, me, my master? How and with what could I ever save Israel? Look at me. My clan is the weakest and in Manasseh, and I'm the runt of the litter. My tribe is a bunch of poodles, and I'm the teacup. I'm the runt. You're talking about no self-esteem. And literally, this is what the angel of the Lord says to him. Number five, it's all about God being with us. Let me say to you this morning, it's not how many in a majority you can muster, but it's do you have God on your side? Your life might be in a storm, but if you'll just, instead of putting your head down and crying about it and, and, and getting lost in the rowing, get up and look into the middle of the storm because there's one coming walking on the waves who wants to get up in the boat with you. Everybody say, God and Gideon together. God said to him. Notice that's how the word says, God said to him. This is the angel of the Lord talking. God said to him, I will be with you. Believe me, you'll defeat Midian as one man. 
If you have God on your side, if you have Jesus in the boat with you, if God be for you, what? It's, it's just a rhetorical question that doesn't even deserve an answer because if God's for you, it just doesn't, it's not a flying flip. Who makes anybody else a difference because God is for you? Come on, somebody. God and Gideon together, number six. Before God will help you with Midian, you must deal with your own bull, Gideon. Before God was going to empower Gideon to deal with Midian, Gideon was going to have to deal with all the bull worship. That's Baal. They directed the altars all over the country, and they would put the prime bull up on the altar to sacrifice to Baal, to the bull god. So Gideon selects 10 men from his services, I mean, from his servants, and he did exactly what God had told him. But the scripture says, but because of his family and the people in the neighborhood, he was afraid to do it openly. So he did it that night. He just asked the angel of the Lord to give him a sign, and the angel of God had done that. And I'll leave that alone because I don't have enough time to even go back into that. It's great stuff there. But the angel of God gives him a sign, and he says, look, this is what I want you to do first. You're going to have to go tear down these altars of Baal. You're going to have to put God back first place among your people. Get him right first in your own heart. Before you can take out the enemy, you've got to deal with your bull, Gideon. I'm, I'm talking to somebody up in this room this morning. You want to defeat an enemy in your life? You know that there's something there and God is empowering you. You've got to deal with your own idolatry towards some bull sin that's in your life. That's for all of us. Early in the morning, the people in town were shocked to find Baal's altar torn down, the Asherah pole beside it chopped down, and the prime bull burning away on the altar that had been built. The men of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son. He must die. Why? He tore down the Baal altar and chopped down the Asherah tree. But Joash, this is, this is Gideon's father. Joash stood up to the crowd pressing in on him. Are you going to fight ba Baal's battles for him? Are you going to save him? Anyone who takes Baal's side will be dead by morning. If Baal is a god in fact, let him fight his own battles and defend his own altar. What Gideon did encouraged and strengthened the voice of an older generation. Come on, somebody. Let me tell you why I believe that God wants to make victory a multi-generational church. Because I believe God has young people in this room this morning and in the next service that's coming in behind you that have a call of God on their lives and God wants to do something very powerful in them. And when we see their energy and we can give them our wisdom and we can combine the two together, we can shake the delta for God. Come on, somebody. I missed a great point. I got to go back and get it. God's heroes are not born. They're cornered. Are you hearing me? That's how Gideon got brought into this thing. It wasn't because he was necessarily born. Yeah, he, God knew and God birthed him for that, but Gideon didn't know that. God's heroes are not born. They're cornered. Gideon got pushed over into a place. He's threshing the wheat in the wine press, and the angel of God, the messenger of the covenant, comes to him, and in spite of all of his excuses... He says, I'm going to be with you. God's going to go with you and you will defeat Midian as one man. And Gideon believes him and the angel gives a sign. And he goes out and tears down all of the altars of Baal. The scripture says, they nicknamed Gideon that day Jeroboam because after he had torn down the Baal altar, he had said, let Baal fight his own battles. What bull in your life do you need to slay? What bull altar 
have you been offering things on that you've paid attention to that's lured you away from the first love? The more I seek you, I want to tell you, those two girls sang that this morning, and I felt such an, an overwhelming. It was, as the word said, it's overwhelming. I just began to weep standing back there playing along with them, with, with Alexandra and then Abby accompanying her. What, what a powerful, powerful presence of God in this room this morning. And God, we just say right now as victory that we seek you, God. We seek your face. God speaks to Gideon. Number seven, and I'm wrapping this up. He basically tells Gideon, your army's too big. You've got 32,000 people, and besides, a whole mess of them are scared. (laughs) They're afraid. They're fearful. And Gideon says, God, what do you mean? The Midianites are numbering in the hundreds of thousands, and the best I've got is 32,000 guys. Yeah, they're a little bit knock-kneed, but I I, I think that maybe, wait a minute, you told us you were going to be with us. God says, no. It's too many because if they take him, they'll think they did it in their own strength. I want you to get up and preach a message, and this is what I want you to say, Gideon. Hey, all you cowards, everybody that's scared, get up and go home. Well, that's too easy a message, Lord. What do you mean? Do it. Gideon basically gets up before his army, and he says, all of you that are fearful and afraid, go home. 22 companies of 1,000 each in a company left. 22,000 people went home. He's got 10,000 left. Okay, Lord, it's got to be you now. And guess what? God comes back and he says, no, Gideon, you still have too many. Gideon, (coughs) (coughs) excuse me, Jesus. (coughs) What you mean? What you mean my army's still too big? All I've got is 10,000. They're going to outnumber us 20 times. He says, no, there's still too many. They're going to think that they did it in their own strength. And he says, I want you to take them down by the spring. Four years ago, I went, three years ago, I went to Israel And I knelt in the very same spot where Gideon took those 10,000 men, a little spring that runs out into a pool. It's called Herod's Spring, not Herod of the New Testament, but Herod, H-A-R-O-D. And I knelt down and just did the same thing that I knew that those men did. Because there were 10,000 of them and they'd been training and they were thirsty. And Gideon led them to the spring and he says, I'm going to give them a test. He says, I want you to watch them, all of them who go and just stick their head in the water out of their lust for something to drink because they're so thirsty, I want you just to get rid of every one of them. But I want you to be careful and watch because there are going to be some of these men who are as much concerned about their brothers as they are themselves. And when they stoop down to get a drink, even though they're as thirsty as everybody else, they're going to pull it up in the palm of their hand and they're going to lap that water maintaining a watchful eye for their brothers around them on both sides and and those that lap the water like the dog I want you to pick them out because they're your army of deliverers the test is always at the water and it's can you drink it from the anointed hand of the Lord the five-fold ministry of the apostle prophet evangelist pastor and teacher and when God brings anointed authority into your life can you receive can you, can, can, you, can you say, Lord, the Lord is my shepherd. Where he leads me, I will follow. And what he feeds me, I will swallow. And, and can you partake of the delegated authority that God brings into your life? Because it's the water of the word. It's by the washing of the water of the word that the test comes. Can I receive the word and can I receive it in a righteous attitude of watchfulness for my other brothers? God whittled an army of 10,000 down to 300. Oh, God. 
It sure is going to be you. If this thing comes off, but Lord, I know that you've called me to be a person of action. I just don't know about the rest of all this rabble that we're supposed to defeat these couple of hundred thousand of Midianites with. Gideon heads over into the enemy's camp because God calls him over to take a listen. He says, I'm going to give you a word. I'm going to give you a sign. And they sneak over to the edge of the Midianite camp. And the Bible says in Judges chapter 7, verse 13, Gideon arrived just in time to hear a man tell his friend a dream. And they're standing back. They're hiding behind in the trees and behind the rocks. And he's hearing this man at the tent and the campfire telling his friend, he says, I had this dream, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the Midianite camp and it came to the tent and it hit it so hard it collapsed, the tent fell. His friend says, this has to be the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the Israelite. God has turned the Midianite army, the whole camp, over to him. Now this is one Midianite telling another one the dream he had and Gideon's sitting out there just his chest is swelling bigger and broader and wider and going, yeah, Lord, you said you were going to be with us, didn't you? And God gives Gideon some instructions. When Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he went to his knees before God in prayer, and then he went back to the Israelite camp, and he said, get up and get going. God has just given us the Midianite army. He divided the 300 men into three companies, and he gave each man a trumpet and an empty jar with a torch in the jar. So they got a trumpet in one hand and they got a glass jar with a candle in the other one, a torch. And Gideon says, in my last point, and I finished this message this morning, he says, when I give the word, I want you to watch what I do. And he says, and Gideon basically takes the trumpet. And what happens is this is just the, the amazing plan of God and his mystery. He deceives the Midianite army, and the Midianite army thinks, oh my gosh, if the front of the army has 300 trumpeters carrying torches, how massive can the army be behind them? And so he takes the trumpet, which is the message. It's your testimony. Nobody else can sound your trumpet but you. You've got something where God has delivered you where nobody else can say like you can. Look what the Lord has done in my life. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. And you've got to set the trumpet to your mouth because you've got something to say. And you take that trumpet and you crash it against that glass jar. And then the, the light of God's glory and his grace shines out of your life when you share what he's done for you. The light gets shed. In the middle of that, the enemy is terrified. Because the enemy ain't got no sense. Not up against God. And not up against some God-filled, spirit-possessed people who have decided to be people of action. It's so easy just to sit and wait. And I just want to tell you this morning, God is waiting on us. We don't need to be sitting around waiting on God. You have a charge. You have a call. You are called to be a person of action. You've got a light to shine and a trumpet to sound. You've got a testimony to give that somebody else needs to see. You may be the only person with a trumpet in one hand and a pitcher in the other hand at your job, at your office, in your neighborhood. And my God, get them out of the closet. Quit hiding them. Take your trumpet and, and crash it against that jar and shine your light and let the message be heard. And God will cause the enemy to be routed in your life. Are you hearing the word of the Lord?
Hallelujah. This is what Gideon says, and I'm finished this morning. He says, look at me and do likewise. Watch what I do. He said, watch me and do what I do when I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly what I do. And when I and those with me blow the trumpets, you also, all around the camp, blow your trumpets and shout for God and for Gideon. Say that with me. For God and for Gideon. I love that. When God calls you to do something, he's the first to get the glory but he's also going to have folks recognize in that generation you were the one who obeyed and stood up. You were the one who heard the call, heard the charge, heard the voice of the Lord. You, 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 you obeyed and you picked up your trumpet and you picked up your picture with the light in it. You people are called, we are called to be leaders in the Delta, to pull down all of the Midian forces of poverty and ignorance and racism and apathy and prejudice and sectarianism, denominational pride, all the stuff that's reigning in Southern churchianity. You are an army of 300. 300 in the Bible is the number of deliverance. God used 300 men to defeat an army of a couple hundred thousand. The ark was 300 cubits. It was the means of deliverance that God brought Noah and his family into. Every time you see the number 300 in the scripture, it is God uses deliverance. He's bringing victory, setting people through free. I think of the movie 300, those men who stood in Sparta, in, in, in ancient Greece, 300. And every time you see in the scripture, and sometimes in history, that thing repeats just like that. God will raise up just a troop. And there's nothing significant to us about 300. It's just a symbol. But I, I believe that God has some, some people who are, have that spirit of the 300 men who fought with Gideon, who are ready and willing to stand up and take action because you were called to be leaders. And hear this this morning as I bring this message to its finality. A true leader knows the way. A true leader goes the way. A true leader shows the way. Yeah, but pastor, I, I'm not a leader. Well, see, you're playing that same game Gideon did. And the angel of the Lord is standing in front of you this morning. Not me, but the voice through me. Sitting under the oak tree at Ophrah. And he's saying, put your name in this blank right now. Hello, mighty man of valor. Hello, great woman of courage. Will you be a person of action in your generation?" Will you rise up to do what God has called you to do? But there's an enemy so great. God says, you can defeat that enemy as one man. I will be with you, says the Lord. But you know what? You and I may have some bull in our own lives that we've got to deal with first. And so, so this morning as I bring this message to its end, the scripture is this. Judges chapter 7, verse 28. So Midian was subdued before the people of Israel, and they raised their heads no more. And the land had rest 40 years in the days of Gideon. Sometimes, if you are hearing yourself say, God, where are the miraculous acts that my parents and my grandparents talked about? If you hear yourself saying those same words that Gideon did, maybe it's because 
they trusted God in their generation and they were the Gideon in their generation. And they stuck their neck on the line and they had faith and God moved and answered their prayers and God brought healing and God, <laughs> and God brought redemption and God rescued rebel kids that were headed to hell. And, and God listened to the prayers of my grandparents and my great-grandparents and my mom and dad and they cried out to God and they saw God do awesome things because like Gideon, they said, God, where are you in our generation? And so this morning, I want to say to you, everybody sitting in this room, don't give up and think that the God of granny has died. He's still very much alive in the same way that grandmother and grandfather and mom and dad cried out to God. He's looking to you to be the Gideon of this generation that will quit with your excuses and lay them down and cry out to God and go, God, I believe that you can turn my life around. I deal with this bull. I kill this. I pull this bull altar down and I'm not going to worship that stuff any longer. And I ask you to be Lord in my life over every area of my life. And I promise you, if you will do that, God will be with you the same way he was with Gideon. Bow your heads with me, please, this morning for a word of prayer. Oh, God, our excuses abound. We hear you speak to us and we say, who, me? God, I just ask you today, you penetrate all of the stuff in our lives all the sin, all of the obstacles, everything that we could so readily hold up before you and go, but look at this, the tribe I'm from, I'm the weakest one, I'm the runt. God, all of this that we do, Lord, help us, God, to lay that down and to just be naked before you, Lord, without excuse. And Lord, at that moment, to hear your voice and to be empowered to do what you've called us to do. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm, I'm just going to take a second. If there's anybody in this room and you've heard this today, you've heard the Lord speak to your heart, and you know what I'm talking about when I say you've got an enemy you cannot defeat because you've got some bull that you have not yet gotten rid of. You know what? Every one of us has sin. That's the bull I'm talking about. That's the bull God. That's the idolatry. That's the stuff we all deal with. You know what? If we have never taken that to the foot of the cross, then we have absolutely no recourse. We have nothing else that we can call upon but our own goodness, and that's worthless. When I stand before God, when I stand before the judge of heaven and before at the courtroom of God, I won't be able to say, well, look at all the good stuff I did because it won't anywhere near outweigh the junk that's in my life. Jesus Christ has remedied that. He has come and taken upon himself the sins of the world. This is very simple. The Bible says, he who has the son has life. And I would ask you today, do you have him in your heart? Very simply, as we close this whole service today, I just want to ask you, if you want to be included in the prayer that I'm about to pray, there's nothing magical about raising your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you and call you to the front or anything like that. But with the, every eye closed, every head bowed, if you'd just like to say with me, Pastor, I need to deal with the bull in my life. I need, I need to deal with the sin. I want Jesus to save me. Anybody who wants to cross that line of faith in this prayer I'm about to pray, if you would just slip up your hand, I want to pray for you right now. Anybody? Yes, thank you. I see that one. Anybody else? Anyone else this morning? All right, believers in the room, you've known Jesus. You've known him for a couple weeks, a month. You've known him for 40 years. It does not matter. You're in a place of defeat. You, need, you have an enemy that's encroaching. 
stealing, killing, destroying, robbing in your life. And God says, I'll help you with that enemy. But you've got some bull you're going to have to take down. You're going to have to destroy that Baal altar. Nobody looking around. If you want to be included in this portion of the prayer, would you just slip up your hand? Say, Pastor, I heard that word. That's for me. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Lord, in Jesus' name, thank you for my brother who lifted his hand. Lord, to cross the line of faith to say, Jesus, save me. Thank you right now. We just rejoice with him in our hearts. Thank you for the salvation that comes when we say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Jesus, save me. Lord, even as my friend prays that in his heart right now, thank you, Lord, that you do a work that no man can do. Only the Holy Spirit can do. As the gospel goes forth today, thank you, Lord, that you do a new work, a fresh work. You give him a fresh start. In Jesus' name, as he turns from his past and turns to you, Lord, your word says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Thank you, Lord, for a new day in my brother's life. Lord, anyone else who's prayed that prayer this morning, even if they didn't raise their hand, Lord, it's all about between you and them. We thank you for that. And Lord, for the others who raised their hands around the room and said, Pastor, I heard the word. I've got to take down this bull altar in my life. God, we deal with our bull this morning. We confess it. We ask you, Jesus, Lord, to to break denial. The the things, the Lord, that we've said, oh, it's not a problem. Lord, that we come face to face with it. In the name of Jesus, you give us the strength, oh God, to repent, to turn from it, and to turn to you, and to tear that thing down. Give us, brothers and sisters, around us, oh God, that will strengthen us and help us to be accountable. Lord, I ask you to help someone here drag into the light what has bound them in darkness. In the name of Jesus, for liberty and freedom to be their portion. We thank you, Lord, that you'll give us the ability, Father, to to be the Gideon, to be the person of action that you've called us to be in Jesus' name. Everybody said.